There's a story some of you may know. Probably I've shared some version of it before in my preaching. It goes like this. A terrible flood has come to a community, and a, and a gentleman there did not heed the warnings to evacuate and finds water flooding into the first floor of his house. And so he goes up to the second floor. The water continues to pour in and comes in onto the second floor. So the man goes up into the attic and then climbs out on his rooftop. By this time, the water is at the second story and, a, and, a, and the man begins to pray. He prays to God to deliver him as the waters continue to rise. All of a sudden, a, a rowboat comes by. A couple's in the, in the rowboat and they holler at the man and they say, hey, get in, get in the boat and, and we'll take you somewhere dry and safe. And the, and the man says, I'm good. God is going to save me. And then a little while later, the water is now at the edge of the, of the rooftop and a, and a rescue boat comes by and the captain of the boat yells at him and says, get in. The waters are continuing to rise. It's dangerous out here. Get in the boat. We'll, we'll, we'll take you to, to safety. And the man says, not to worry. My God is going to save me. And he goes right back to praying. By now, the, the water's up on the rooftop. He climbs to the very cap of the roof, and a helicopter, rescue helicopter comes by, sees him. A rescue worker comes down on a, on a ladder, holds out a harness, says, take the harness, put the harness on. We'll, we'll fly you to safety. And the man says, don't worry. My God is going to save me. The waters continue to rise, and the man is swept away to his death. He ends up at the, in heaven, and he's able to get an audience with God, and he sits down with God, and he says, God, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent two boats in a helicopter. What more was I supposed to do? In addition to hopefully just a little bit of amusement this morning, I hope we might just, might just kind of think about that story and about faith and what our faith looks like, what it means to have faith in God as we begin this new sermon series called Encounter. Over, the, over the, this year, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and, and starting today and leading up to the Sundays and Easter, we're going to be looking at people who encountered Jesus. And in those stories, asking the question, what can we learn from these encounters about our own faith? What can we, what can we learn about our own desires to encounter Jesus? in our lives. Let's pray, and then we're, we'll dive into today's stories. Holy God, thank you for these moments to, to sing and to encounter your spirit moving in and through our worship experience here at Clay Church. God, may, may these words that we're going to hear today, may they just stir things inside of us. May they, may they speak to us, to each one of us, the, the message you'd have us hear. May they open our, our hearts to better know your love. May they open our souls to a deeper relationship with you, with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're actually going to explore two encounters that are back-to-back -back in Matthew's gospel, and they come right after the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has gone up, he's, he's shared teaching with his followers, and then this is what Matthew says happens next. We're going to be in Matthew 8 today. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. 
a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleaned of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done as you believed, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Remember right before this, these two encounters with Jesus, Jesus was teaching and I don't know if some of you maybe remember what he taught, if you, if you know the Sermon on the Mount, if you were here a few weeks ago when we, when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins that sermon with blessings. And do you remember who the blessings were for? The blessings were for the, for the poor, for those grieving. The blessings were for those without power in society. The blessings were for those who were peacemakers and those who desired God's kingdom. The, the blessings would come to those who were seeking God. Now the sermon has concluded and Jesus comes down the mountainside, and it says these crowds are, are following him. And according to Matthew, the very first thing that happens is that a leper and a Roman centurion come to Jesus. An outcast of society and the enemy. Part of the Roman Empire, a symbol of the Roman Empire. Come to Jesus seeking healing. So we're going to ask in just a moment, like, what can, we, what can we learn from these encounters with Jesus? But before we do that, I have a question that I want us to, to think about for just a moment. I hope you'll be, be brave and, and raise your hand if, if this applies to you. Let me ask, how many of you have prayed fervently for healing for yourself or for someone else? You have prayed and prayed for healing. How many of you have prayed and prayed for healing and found that God didn't heal your loved one, a friend, yourself in the way that you had hoped? How many of you have had that experience? 
Somebody didn't get better. Somebody didn't beat the, the cancer. Somebody didn't, didn't come out of the tailspin. How many of us have found ourselves after such prayers asking if we're faithful enough? Has anybody had that reaction after praying and praying? And how many of us have, have just been like, did I not pray right? Is, is, it, is it my faith that's lacking here? Right? It's easy to ask those kinds of questions, wondering why our prayers maybe didn't work, if it seems like others maybe did. I say this because it would be really easy to read these two stories that we have read today and, and read them as stories that say, if you just have enough faith, Jesus will heal you. Or if you just have the right prayers and enough faith, Jesus will heal somebody else. And I believe that these stories, we're going to get to this, I believe these stories have important things to teach us, things about our relationship with Jesus. But it isn't. Hear me say this. I don't believe that these stories teach us that if we just pray hard enough or if we just have enough faith ourselves that Jesus will just do what we want or that we can somehow bend God's will to our own will. I don't think it works that way. I think some of us have been led to believe that if we just pray hard enough, God's will will bend to our will. Now, I believe in the power of prayer, but I don't believe that the power of prayer is about bending God's will to our will. I believe the power of prayer is opening us to God's will and what God is doing in the midst of our lives, even when it's hard. I think some of us have been, have been led to believe that if enough people pray, then we can bend God's will to what we want God to do in the world. And, and is prayer powerful? Absolutely. Can God grant miracles? Yes. Can Jesus heal? Yes. All those are true. But are those miracles somehow dependent on enough people praying or, or the faith level of those praying for us? I got to tell you, I hope not. I hope that God isn't a God that says, well, that group of prayers is better than that group of friends, so I'm, I'm healing over here, and I'm not healing over here. It's not the, the God that I think we want to believe in. In a few weeks, we're going to look more deeply because if, you, if you're sitting there now and you're like, man, I got questions about this healing thing and these, these healing questions, yes, in a few weeks we're going to come back to this, this topic and some other encounters with Jesus and we're going to impact it even more. But, but perhaps today so that we can look at these encounters and see some other things happening there, we can just say this, that, that Jesus heals lots of people, but Jesus doesn't heal everyone. If Jesus healed everyone, there wouldn't be any disease or cancer or struggle within the, the people who follow Christ today, right? And we know that Jesus heals in specific ways to show who Jesus is and to show the power of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that Jesus heals everyone. So if we can kind of put that sense of healing and that this truth aside for a moment, now we can dig into these encounters with, with Jesus and see something else that's happening even underneath the healing experiences that the leper and the centurion servant have. In fact, we might notice these first two people that experience healing from Jesus have two things in common. 
Did you notice anything as you were listening to the story that they had in common? The first is this. Both the leper and the centurion are outside of the faith community at the, at the time. These encounters, these healing acts of, of Jesus, they don't take place with those who've studied the Bible for years. They don't take place with kind of the, those who have the deepest faith connections in the community. These are both, these are both outsiders who are just coming to, to seek this, this power that they, that they see in Jesus. In fact, both of these encounters take place with people that most of those followers of God at the time would seek to avoid. A leper who could rub off on me, who I'm taught makes me unclean to even be around. And a Roman centurion who is the, the enemy who stands for everything I, I can't stand about the occupation of my, of my place. Outsiders are those who are healed by Jesus. And if you notice, when the leper comes to Jesus, what he says is kind of fascinating. He says, if you are willing, Jesus, to heal me. He didn't demand that Jesus give in to his will. He didn't demand his way. He just came to Jesus and he said, he said essentially, I've heard about your power. If you're willing, could you, could you use that power to, to heal me? And specifically, he asked Jesus to touch him. Now, this story in its context will help us realize that for Jesus to reach out and touch him was like a major cultural social faux pas. The, the law, the Mosaic law, said that lepers were unclean. Now, it didn't say you couldn't touch them, but it said that if you did touch them, then you could not go and worship in the temple until a period of time had passed and you had done rituals to make yourself clean again. And so the Pharisees and the other leaders of the people of God at the time, they said, well, in order to, to stay clean, because we, we want to stay clean to go to the temple and, and, and worship God, we're going to take these lepers and we're going to put them in colonies and make them outcasts. They're just going to have to fend for themselves because they can't be part of our society because they will make us unclean. This leper comes before Jesus, a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, and says, touch me. And all those around Jesus would be like, don't, don't touch him. Like, that'll make you unclean. But do you notice what Jesus puts first is the relationship with this outsider. Not the social norms or the fears or the, or the customs of the time. He puts the relationship first. And so he reaches out and he touches, and he touches the leper. He didn't, he didn't break the law. He knows the law. In fact, if you'll notice, when Jesus touches someone and, and heals them, he will not go into the, into the temples in the Bible immediately after that. He follows the law, but at the same time, he puts the relationship with those who desire to know the love of Jesus, with those outside the community, he puts that relationship first. He crosses the boundary of the community to extend the healing power of God's love to this leper. Encounters with Jesus invite the breaking down of walls and barriers in society. 
as the, as the followers of Jesus watch this, right? Jesus is, is showing them a way that is different than the cultural norms that they have, have, have probably grown up with and seen, right? This puts relationship in front of everything, in front of fear, in front of ill will, in front of social norms, right? Jesus shows them a kind of faith that says, I'm I'm not going to worry about those social norms. I'm not going to worry about unclean because people knowing the love of God, that's what is most important. Right? Faith isn't about putting up walls and protecting the faith community. Faith encounters with Jesus cause us to to break down those walls and barriers so that God's love can spread beyond the immediate community. It's worth noting then what Jesus says to the leper once he's clean. He tells him to go to the temple. Actually, first he says, don't tell anyone, which I always find is a bit funny because it's like, this guy's been cleaned. There were crowds there. Like, nobody's going to hear about it. But then he says something really important. He says, go to the temple. That's actually what the law said to do, to go to the temple and present himself. It restores him to community. It restores this man to know that he belongs. He's part of the people of God. The two stories, though, they also have something else in common. Both the leper and the centurion, they track down Jesus because they've heard about him and they believe in the power that he brings. Right? Jesus doesn't come to them. They seek out Jesus. They find Jesus. It's though Matthew, right after Jesus does these teachings, it's though Matthew is is telling his audience, those who are reading this gospel or hearing this, this gospel, that what distinguishes those who comprehend who Jesus is and, and the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing are those who seek it out. It isn't status or power or experience or how long they've been part of the church. It's it's those who are seeking out a relationship with Jesus. And then in both cases, the leper says to Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. The centurion says, you know, Jesus is like, can I come and heal? And he's like, I'm not even worthy for you to be under my roof. And And the centurion, a Roman centurion at the time, just so we kind of understand who this is, a Roman centurion at the time would be, centurion is the idea that he probably has a hundred soldiers under him. So he serves the Roman legion, and then he is is essentially an officer who has soldiers with him. And he's asking for healing, not for himself, not for one of his soldiers even, but one of his servants, which would be kind of the lowest of the social hierarchy in his household. He also doesn't come to Jesus and demand for the servant to be healed. He just asks Jesus. He says, I know you have the power to do this. I believe that you can. And then Jesus responds, again, in front of these crowds by commending his faith, by saying, I I haven't seen faith in Israel like this. And it might make us ask the question, like, what, what part of the centurion's faith is, is Jesus lifting up? Is it, is it that he's commending the centurion's 
belief in his power, because that's some kind of faith. Right? Somebody who isn't even of the people of God believes in this, this Messiah, the, the healing power of, of this teacher. Or is it, is it that he's commending the centurion's humility? The centurion comes to him not to demand that he heals, even though he'd have that kind of power, but, but he comes humble, not even wanting the healing for himself, but, but desiring healing for someone else. Could it be that? Could it be he's commending the, the centurion's desire to, to help someone with lower social status out of his faith? We don't know. Maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's all three. What we know is that Jesus says this, this is the kind of faith that we're looking for. This is the kind of faith that God desires. Faith that is about caring for the world and caring for others. Faith that comes and believes in the power of Jesus. Faith that comes with humility, desiring healing and and hope for others. Faith that seeks out Jesus. Both the leper and the centurion, they believe in the power of Jesus. But they don't assume that, that they will experience the healing. They don't say, if, if Jesus will, will heal me, I'll believe in him. They don't, they don't say, if, if Jesus can, will just do what I ask, then I'll follow him. No, they start with pursuing Jesus, seeking out Jesus, believing in the power of, of Jesus, and then asking laying out their hearts and their desires. This, right, this is faith. Faith is pursuing a relationship with Jesus, actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus. In one of my early bouts of depression, I think I've, I know I've shared before that I suffer from, from clinical depression, and um, it's managed with the help of a doctor and a wonderful community and, and counseling, and, um, uh, and I, I've been inc- incredibly blessed uh, to, to be able to manage that mental health issue for me. But in one, of a, in one of my early bouts with depression, I remember a session with my therapist at the time, and he had asked me how things were going, and it was a particularly kind of dark time, and I was struggling, and I was beating myself up about everything, and, uh, and I had shared, I just felt so alone that, that uh, um, Cheryl was in it with me, and I knew she was, but that I shared so much of the darkness with her that I felt like it was overwhelming her, and, and that my friends, my male friends in life, they, they hadn't called, they hadn't reached out, no, nobody, nobody called to do anything anymore, nobody invited me you know, to go for lunch or, or go do anything. And my counselor, I'll never forget this, he looked right across at me, and if you've ever been in therapy, maybe you've had this experience where your counselor asks a question that it seems sort of like simple and, and uh, just obvious, and yet when the question comes out, it has this sort of profound effect on you. He just looked right across from me and he said, how, how many of them have you called in the last two or three months? 
And, and the answer was none. And, and I realized in that moment that none of them knew that I was depressed. None of them knew that I was hurting and struggling. I, I hadn't shared it with them. In our patterns of life at the time, we had younger kids. We had lots going on. Our patterns in life weren't to just call each other out of the blue unless we were, you know, looking to do something and have a, have a good, good time. None of them knew that I needed friendship and support. My counselor gave me a few minutes and then asked a follow-up question. He said, if you called any one of those friends that you're thinking of right now and asked them you know, to have lunch with you or, or told them what was going on, what would they do? And I'm like, two of one, every one of them would, would go out to lunch. They'd spend time. I know they care about me. And I, I know that I have really good friends. But, but relationships work in two directions. My friends were there for me, but I, I had to communicate. I had to, I had to reach out. I, I had to ask. I had to open up my own life and my own hearts to experience their support and their love. I think about that experience and I think about sort of the difference between active and passive faith. Passive faith is, is sitting back and being like, if, if, if God will do this for me, then I'll believe, or if God will do this healing, then, then I'll believe, or, or if, if if these things happen according to the way I want them to, then I'll, I'll believe in God. I'm not even sure passive faith is, is the right word. It's just kind of passivity in our relationship with God. In these two encounters, we see two people who instead of sort of passively waiting, they pursue this relationship, believing first in the power of healing, believing in things unseen as later Later, reflection in the Bible will say, believing in things unseen, believing in the power of God, and, and not knowing whether or not it will happen in their lives, but wanting the kind of relationship that connects to that kind of power, because, because then you can see that God is at work in, in the world and around us. That is active faith, pursuing a relationship with Jesus probably have used this analogy before, but when I was out in Utah hiking, it, it kind of came back to me, reminded of one of the ways that helps me think about what this relationship with Jesus looks like for each one of us. I don't know how many of you have been rock climbing before, but when you go rock climbing, well, when you go rock climbing safely, I should probably say, you uh, put on a harness and there's a line that clips to your harness. It's called the belay line. And then it, it goes essentially up and, and through uh, so that somebody can hold on to the belay line so that as you climb, they pull it taut. So if you, if you slip, the, the person on the belay line has you. Typically, the, the person on the belay line, when you, when you go rappelling down a mountain or climbing up, usually the person on the belay line is, um, is, a, is an expert or somebody who's kind of teaching you how to do it. It's always struck me that faith in Jesus is not standing looking up and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there's no way I'm going to climb up there. And it isn't standing at the top and going, yeah, I believe Jesus has got me, but I'm not, I'm not jumping off that, you know, the edge of that cliff and rappelling down. Faith, faith is the step that we take. It's saying, I know that I've got a belay line, and when I start to climb up, somebody's got me. Or when I start to rappel down, somebody has, has got me. 
I think one of the ways to think about our faith is that every one of us has a belay line tied to us from Jesus. Every one of us. And the question is, will we have faith enough to take a, a step? He invites us to, to climb or, or jump or to, to carry that, that line to others. Will we have faith? And, and here's the thing, the belay line, it doesn't keep you from losing your footing or sliding or scratching yourself on the rocks. You may fall a little bit. You may, you may slip a little bit. But when Jesus has our belay line, we know that Jesus has got us. That Jesus is holding on and will keep us ultimately safe in the love of God. And once we climb, if you've ever done this, once you get up on the rock wall, you're nervous at first and you start to climb or you start to rappel down over the side and you look down, you're like, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? And then halfway down, all right, maybe not everybody has this experience, but you're, you're screaming about how much fun this is and the view that you're enjoying. You just get to experience that rush of joy. That relationship of trust and adventure, when we trust the belay line with Jesus, it, it grows. The positive and healing encounters we seek in life come not from waiting for Jesus to come to us, but from pursuing relationship with him. Pursuing relationship with him. Will we be healed in the way that we desire? Maybe not, not necessarily. But will we come to know the power and love of Jesus more fully? Yes. Will we experience more of God's kingdom in our lives if we take that step of faith? More peace, more joy? Absolutely. So the question becomes how, how can we pursue that relationship what does it look like to actively pursue that relationship? Well, one of the things I love about the, the season of Lent is that for whatever reason, the, the invitation is always there, but often in Lent, we, we just feel this, this, the power of this invitation to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And I, that's my prayer for us at Clay Church this Lent, that we'd hear this invitation to, to step into encounters with Jesus, to pursue relationship with Jesus. And so here's a, an invitation for this week. Um, you'll find this in your life guide. It's, it's the Faith Fit Challenge for this week, which there's always one in the life guide, which is sort of an, another step to take in faith. But I, here's my hope. My hope is that you'll take this with you and you'll do it. And start today. If you're like me, you'll be like, yeah, this is a great Faith Fit Challenge. I'll, I'll do it sometime this week. And then, uh, and then Sunday passes and Monday passes and next Sunday you're here and you're like, oh yeah, there was a Faith Fit Challenge last week. So let, let me invite you to do this today. Sometime today when you get home from church or, or maybe right before you go to bed tonight, just take out a piece of paper and create a list of all the things that make for a really good friendship. Just write down the, the things that make for a good friendship. Spending time together, building trust, communicating, what, whatever, whatever you think of. Make a list of all the things that make for a really good friendship. And then once you've got the list, pray through that list. And and think about your relationship with Jesus and ask which of these things in this 
relationship I have with Jesus, which of these things are missing? And choose, choose one of them. And then set some time every day for the rest of this week investing in that part of your relationship with Jesus. As I prepared for today and, and thought about this and thought about, one, one of the things on my list was, was listening. Like a good friend really listens, really, really hears you. And it dawned on me, I'd spent a, a lot of time praying and asking God for, for stuff and reading the Bible, but I hadn't spent a whole lot of time lately listening. And so my, my habit this week, my relationship building uh, step this week is just going to be scheduled 15 minutes every day where I just sit and read a scripture and then listen for what God may be, may be saying to me. Yours may be totally different. But make that list and, and say, how... Jesus, how could I grow in my relationship, in my friendship with you? As we, uh, as we sing today in a moment, in fact, I, let me just invite you to stand. We're going to sing in a moment. We're going to sing about our faith. We're going to, we're going to sing about God's presence in our lives. And I want you to just imagine as you sing today, imagine that belay line and imagine that, that as you're singing today, imagine Jesus just pulls it taut so that you know Jesus has got you. And then, and then as you sing today, I want you to, to just imagine, just imagine Jesus is, is holding on to that line and saying, ready. So that's what you do. You say ready and they, then they're ready to belay. Jesus is saying ready and inviting you to take a step. And I would just want you to sing. I want you to sing to your fullest and, and just think about what God is saying about your next step to a deeper relationship with him. Jesus is like, trust me, step out, experiencing my love and my goodness and my joy. It's all right here from you. I just, I'm just inviting you to step into that relationship. What does it mean to step in? Let's sing that step of faith for us today.